Like many in healthcare, United Healthcare suffered a data breach recently when hackers broke into the mobile portal of some of its members. The company says hackers were able to view member information like demographics and claims information, but not social security numbers or driver's license data. The company forced password resets and bought identity theft protection for the affected members. Well, it's good that United figured out what happened, but it took them a couple months. There are still a lot of unanswered questions, including whether members have anything to worry about, what's the motive of the hackers, and how companies can and users can prevent something similar from happening again. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. Well, David, I wouldn't be giving United too hard a time. I mean, Anthem's been hacked. You've probably been hacked. A lot of health plans get hacked. How are we to navigate this world where all these institutions are getting getting hacked and whacked in the process? Well, John, you make a fair point. I, I saw an estimate recently, unofficial estimate, that something like thirty uh, percent of people have had their uh, healthcare data hacked. So it is certainly uh, not a unique one, but it's just the most recent one, which is which is why I bring it up. And I think probably useful to understand kind of what actually happened uh, in this case. You know, there's some general things that that people can follow and you know, probably rules that people have, have heard before, but maybe it makes some sense to to understand what exactly occurred. My understanding is that uh, there was some user information that was disclosed on the mobile app back in February. It was things like names, identification number, you know, from the, the health plan, the birthday address, provider names, and claims information. And, uh, you know, the company figured it out a couple of months later. They said what had happened is that the, uh, the hackers had used a, a technique called credential stuffing. You know what that is, John? No. What is I, – I, I've heard of spoofing, but I haven't heard of stuffing. What's, what's that about? So credential stuffing means basically, you know, getting usernames and then trying a bunch of different passwords and seeing what will, what will work. Now, you know, when you are uh, going online and you, and you forget your password or you put the wrong password and eventually it'll, it'll lock you out. However, um, the hackers are actually able to start with a good guess on the password. So there are these data breaches that have been out there from other places like Netflix, Uber, it doesn't have to do anything necessarily with that, with a health plan. And people tend to reuse their usernames and passwords. So if we had John Driscoll out there and Netflix uh, revealed that you, you use the password Driscoll 2022, let's just say. How did you know that? I'm just, well, I don't know. But then what, what they could, you know, the hacker could then sign in to the United or Anthem portal, any portal, and try that. And if 2022 doesn't work, 2023 might work. And they actually- Well, and you can actually, you can actually write an algorithm where you check first name, last name, mother's maiden name, birth date, kids' birthday, kids' names, kids' birthdays, family name, and the, and my, my favorite one, which is Mark Zuckerberg's yeah. Facebook password- which was password. Yeah, or Facebook. Password is the most popular password, actually. So this is the reason why they say don't reuse passwords. It doesn't have to do with uh, you know where you used it. Password one place uh, could be found and used somewhere else. So that's credential stuffing. And if you've got millions of different uh, you know members of a health plan, you could try several thousand, you know, try two or three, and they get, they get locked out. Uh, big deal. You keep going until you find some uh, that work. Well, the, the thing about about software and bots is you can program the bot to do a couple of things. Once you've got – once a, any of your passwords or identities are hacked, they're usually available for sale on the dark web to be resold. And people can even do derivations of your old passwords to try to crack uh, a, a, new, a, new, a new source. 
I mean, the problem with healthcare is your, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of hacking to get personal information and to get credit card numbers and social security numbers, but healthcare data is worth three to five times as much as general data on the web. And so healthcare will continue to be a bigger target. The other thing is that healthcare institutions have a pretty good profile, in some cases, a very accurate and up-to-date profile of who you are and how healthy and what the risks are to you. And those are deeply intimate private items that everybody should care about being protected. John, let's talk about that data. So, you know, what, what typically happens when there's a breach, a company may offer, say, credit monitoring uh, for a couple of years. And in fact, that's what the company's done in, in this case. Now, that is actually useful to prevent someone from opening a, a new credit card in your name, uh, for example. But there's other kinds of information. Now, in the past, maybe some of it was just em- embarrassing. Let's say if you had uh, rhinoplasty, for example, John, not saying you did. Um, I think my nose looks just fine. It was only broke. It was broken in a very consistent way. Let's think about what's going on now. And when you hear that claims information, for example, was released, and let's tie that in with some of what's happening. Now, there's been concern about like apps that might collect on women's health information about uh, their period, for example. Now, imagine if you had a situation where this isn't too far fetched, right? Somebody living in a state where abortion is not allowed, say Texas and they travel to a neighboring state like Arizona and have an abortion. Now, that is something that's maybe a covered benefit might be in there. There's bounty hunters. Uh, it's allowed in the law in Texas to go for somebody who's aiding and abetting an abortion. You can get $10,000 for that. So they get, might even actually have a financial motive to go after that. You could imagine gender-affirming care, which is being outlawed in some places. And then uh, this is not just a, uh, a left-wing, you know, liberal woke thing. Imagine mental health. That's what we hear about as a reason to take somebody's uh, Second Amendment uh, rights and concerned about you know what ha- might happen with their uh, you know with their firearms. So claims information is something you're not going to protect uh, by giving somebody LifeLock for a couple of years. It's very uh, serious, John. First of all, I think it's really hard for healthcare institutions in a world where everybody's getting hacked to be perfect. And we should get into what people as individuals can do to protect themselves. Because the risks, as you say, are quite serious. Um, they're with the disputes and um, and potential denial of access to women's health and the, the, the poisoning of the dialogue and the criminalization of basic access to, to healthcare services that varies dramatically state by state, access in one state your criminal another, that information becomes really dangerous. Um, and then you've got the risk profile of someone who you know may have a very different view of, of same-sex uh, relationships or be judgmental about particular healthcare conditions. Um, the 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 most vulnerable probably are those with mental health issues. We're just at the point in a, in American society when I think we're making some progress at taking away that stigma, uh, the fear that could be associated with the sharing of the information might actually prevent people from getting the help they need. So protecting this healthcare information is absolutely essential, David. And I, I think that the, the challenge is in a world where it's far more profitable and there's, there, there's sort of a, an industry associated with hacking, collecting, and selling this information. I think it's not just the companies are obviously under a lot of pressure to protect and defend. But we as individuals have to be kind of clever about how we make it harder 
for folks to access our own personal health information. Do you, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about that because you know you 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 and your team have actually thought a lot about cyber cyber defenses and and basic. But but let's maybe start with the basics as a as a patient or a caregiver or just an individual who who's healthy then may interact with the healthcare system. How do you think about protecting yourself? in this environment where your information is worth a lot more to somebody else than it is to you. But if they have it, it could be dangerous for you and your family. Fair enough, John. I'll, I'll talk about what the individuals can do. And then I think it's true that we can't expect uh, data to be unhackable. And on the other hand, there are a lot of things that companies should do too, and that we should expect of them. But I'll start with the individuals. So one thing is that, you know, you've heard about two-factor authentication, right? So that means you you not just have your password, but you have something else. Most often it's actually a text message uh, that that you receive now. Two-factor authentication is sometimes an optional thing. You can turn it off. You say you're safe on this device. But I would say actually, but but but, 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 but slow down there, David. What is for someone who doesn't hasn't thought about it and maybe a little intimidated by two-factor? What does that actually mean? So the factors are just the number of of different types of items you have to have in order to validate your your, your account. So one-factor authentication would be just your password. So you have your username and password. So that's like a sort of standard one factor. Now, a second factor is going to be uh, some other information. It's usually not a second password. It's some other information coming in through a kind of an, an out of band approach. So they send you an email or they send you uh, send a text message. And that's the second factor. So you'll get a code that you can put in. Now that's, so what I would say is usually two-factor authentication is offered and you, you should accept it. It's, it takes a little bit longer, but there's a, there's a good reason for that. Going a step beyond that um, you know, is related to, well, gee, if I'm being paranoid or just being careful, if my second factor is that I'm going to get a text and that information on my cell phone is actually available in the same uh, record that a hacker might have, you know, they can actually do something. They can do some diverting and actually something called SIM swapping. Um, and actually take your phone number too. So that's why you'll see things like uh, authenticators that are offered by Google and Microsoft and by others like Authy. That's another way of having a second factor. You get a code and that's a safer way to do it. So that's one thing. Another is just on the passwords. You know, we mentioned before the good example of why not to use the same passwords. It's hard not to, right? Because you'd have to write them down. They're all different. You're going to lose them all the time. Password manager, if you use the right one, uh, they can help you to have unique passwords that are long and, and complicated. And you should actually have long and complicated passwords if you're using passwords, uh, if you're using passwords at all, because uh, even if they're encrypted, they're pretty easy to crack with the modern uh, computing. And then the other thing is don't ignore security warnings. If you get uh, an email that says, hey, somebody tried to log in, go back and, uh, and actually don't just delete that, go and check it out and do what they, do what they say and uh, change your password there. So that's what you could do as an individual. I want to play that back to you, David, because for me, the two factors is very helpful because what that, that says is that a person could be entering, trying to get access to your information through one digital means, typically a computer or an iPad um, or a, a phone. And the two factor just simply means they, they send the, 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 the group or the institution that's being, that says, is, is asked to share your information with the password then needs to verify you through an identi- through a, a tech through some form of technology, typically your cell phone, that identifies you as you by sending a unique code to that phone. And once it's set up, it's actually pretty straightforward. I've always been a little bit skeptical of the password managers, but as all of us have more and more passwords, 
And um, I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, and then the, 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 the other thing I'd add is definitely pay attention to the security warnings of your bank or your health plan or any institution saying, hey, this, this is a, this notifying you and making sure that when it notifies you, it really was you or an authorized user. And the fourth thing I'd say is you got to keep updating whenever there's a patch or an update to an operating system. It's not typically the operating system that's being updated. It's a security patch. And don't please don't get behind on that. All of that starts to help the individual get defense in depth. And why that's important is because hackers are lazy. While they're technically very sophisticated, you know, it's a it's a mass versus target typical attack, which is to say the more data they have, the better. If you make it just a little bit harder each step of the way for hackers to access your personal data, it's going to be much better protected and they are going to vacuum up the information from others and then use that and sell that. So John, let me, uh, at the risk of being too technical on this podcast, let me explain why that, uh, the importance of doing the patch, and then I'll end with uh, what companies should be doing. So when you have a patch, this is a security issue, and let's say you make the patch, and now it's now it's patched. Um, what a hacker can do, even a un- relatively unsophisticated one, is they can compare the patched version with the unpatched version. And the delta between those actually shows you where the vulnerability is, right? Because it's what's different between one version and another. They just change the security. Then you can see where the vulnerability is, and you can exploit that on one that's not patched. So please patch. Now, from the company standpoint, John, one thing is that it's kind of axiomatic that if the data is not there, it can't be breached, right? So all the time in healthcare, we have providers, we have payers that ask for information that they don't need, social security number, the second email address, uh, you know, all sorts of details that really are, are not helpful for them, but could be useful for, for a hacker, right? Because it's all, it's all sitting there, all the stuff that you need in order to do your second factor authentication and all that. So don't, keep, don't gather that information. And then if you need it for a certain amount of time, you know, then get rid of it. It's interesting. This is actually the philosophy behind uh, like in Europe in particular, but also some in American states now, data privacy rules. So GDPR in Europe, and there's five states in the U.S. that have data privacy uh, laws recently. GDPR, is that the German uh, security state kind of no. thing? What is, what is GDPR? It's the uh, general data protection uh, requirements that they have in, in Europe. And it, and it basically, there's a lot of different elements in it. The one that is the most known is sort of the right to be forgotten which means you've got data there. You say, I don't want it there anymore. You've been trying to forget me forever. Well, John, that's not your right. It's my pleasure to forget you. <laughs> Rather than saying, hey, I can collect all this information from the consumer while they're in the store. Maybe it'll be useful for marketing or something later. No, you you collect a minimum amount of information that's required. That's what the organization uh, should do. So the EU, the EU, the European Union has been much more aggressive about protecting information. In Information is in many ways the new oil of of the of the of a data driven economy, data drives it, and data is the new oil. The most valuable data to Ill- for illegal use and potential dangerous use is healthcare data. But the Europeans have been much more aggressive about articulating what the rights of individuals are regarding your personal data, which you know Google and Facebook and every mo- many other internet retailers have decided it should be free and then they use then they sell your data and then leverage your data to actually sell you more stuff and and charge for it. Um, that's created a free access to data and so what I think David you're talking about is let's at least limit the stuff 
the data we share with anyone, a retailer or a healthcare provider, so that we shrink, if, if you have effectively our data footprint, we still have to protect ourselves because you have to share your healthcare data with your healthcare provider. But in general, the European Union has been much clearer about the fact that in addition to you owning your data, creating some protections around it. And that's what the GPDR, GDPR, whatever, whatever you're saying is. Get up, Well, good, John. Well, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. We've been talking today about data breaches and what you can do about it as an individual and what the organizations should do as well. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. If you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service. And remember to protect your data. Bye.